Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. Well, we start a new series today called A Fresh Air, Learning to Renew uh, the Soul. It doesn't take many years of living to realize that life can be really challenging and that life can be uh, difficult. Uh, If you had to put a word on your season of life right now, I think many of us would, you know, choose a word like uh, overwhelmed uh, or exhausted or chaotic or something uh, along that line because life really can kind of take over at times. It doesn't mean that life isn't worth living. It's just life is what it is. There is beauty along with pain. There's sunshine along with the rain. And if we're not proactive and strategic in how we approach life, the negative circumstances of life can have a way of, uh, of, of blanketing us and really kind of uh, getting their way and having their way with us. They will leave us in survival mode, caught in a rut, or maybe just going through the motions, trying to get through the day, or live for the weekend, or for some, maybe just trying to wait to the sweet release of death. You know, maybe life is that overwhelming that you're thinking, I got 20 more years, and then, you know, this whole thing is over. Uh, but this is when life begins to sour, and we become dissatisfied with life, and the air becomes thick and stale, and we begin to crave a fresh scene and a fresh start, and we crave fresh air. Any of these pictures remind you that you need a vacation? Any beach people here that that's like, that's your thing, just toes in the sand, sitting there with one of those drinks with an umbrella that you've had far too many of already for the day? Right, the pulsing sound of the ocean and just the sweet smell of the ocean air. I mean, maybe this is more your style. Uh, maybe for some of you, this is your thing. Any like campers, like that—that's it for you. Like, put me outdoors with the smell of a fire and s'mores and sleeping under the stars and bugs and dirt and all that other. That's your thing, right? You love it. Like just the, the smell of nature at its best. Like. Oh, that's just life to your being. Here, this is life to me right here. This, an open road on a motorcycle, that's my idea of vacation. Wind in my face, bug in my teeth, um, roadside greasy you know, restaurants, and, and just miles of an open road ahead of me. That's, that's my thing, man. When I think of vacation, that's like, let me pack up two bags and just go. One pair of pants for two weeks. That's all right. That's good. That's how we roll, right? The problem with vacations is that they're vacations. They don't last. And one or two weeks away is good, but when you put it on a scale against 50 weeks of the grind, the grind wins out, and life has a way of overwhelming us and having its way with us. And so how do we keep life from becoming overwhelming? How do we breathe in fresh air even when circumstances of life may be somewhat polluted or even somewhat toxic? Is there something we can do to bend the odds in our favor? Listen to what Paul's perspective on when writing to the church of Philippi. He says, for I have learned to be content. 
Now, Paul's writing to, think, think of it if, if we were a church 2,000 years ago and Paul would have written a letter to the church of El Mirage. This is really what he's doing, is writing to the, to the believers who made up the church of Philippi. And uh, we, those letters have been saved and we have what he has written. He says, for I have learned to be content or I've learned to be satisfied. I've learned that I have enough in whatever the circumstances are. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in one. I like what Paul says, look, I learned something, meaning I wasn't always like this. It wasn't something I naturally possessed. It's not a natural reaction to life. It's not a, a natural reflex. I learned it with time and persistence and struggle and patience and resetting my focus and seeking and the power of the Holy Spirit. I learned something that I used to not have. I learned to be content or satisfied or fulfilled with life no matter what life throws at me. I learned the secret of being content in any in every situation. In other words, Paul says, look, if your situation doesn't fall under any, it'll fall under every. It's like, I'm covering every base. Whatever it is you have going on in your life, whatever it is that's taking place in my life, I've learned to be satisfied, content, regardless of the situation. And here's where this passage really begins to take life. When you begin that Paul penned this letter to the church of Philippi, and when he penned this letter he was, wait for it, in prison. All right, Philippians is one of the prison epistles where Paul was writing this from prison, and prior to prison, he was beaten and left for dead. This does not sound like a letter coming from a man who's who's in prison. He learned something. There was something that that, that he acquired. And, And so now a man who sits in prison because of corrupt officials awaiting possible execution over false charges, tells us that he's learned to be content, satisfied, relaxed, fulfilled in any and every situation life can throw at him. But if Starbucks messes up my cappuccino, my entire day is shot. She didn't froth my milk, right? God forbid. Have you ever come out in the morning and you had a flat and it turned the entire day towards a downward trajectory? Oh, great. This day sucks. I mean, how many times have one thing and the entire day is shot? And Paul's writing from prison and he said, I've learned something. I've learned how to be content in every situation. Look, Paul's not talking about trivial things such as a flat tire or froth milk. His situation had weight and life-altering consequences, as I know some of you are facing things of great weight and life-altering consequences as well. And so how was Paul able to keep his circumstances in proper perspective? And how was he able to breathe in fresh air even when a situation was somewhat polluted, like being in prison for two years? And so we're going to see what we can learn as we just kind of are opener to, to this topic of how we can uh, begin to revive the soul and breathe in fresh air even when it may be polluted or toxic. Let's pray. So Lord, um, love that we're starting a new series today and love what you're going to teach us. And Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves to you and ask that you would teach us today. You would teach us through your truth, teach us through the power of your word, teach us through your wisdom, 
challenge us, regardless of where we find ourselves today, that you would challenge us, point us in the direction that we should go, and we will follow. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to uh, enter in and transform and change us from the inside out. And as we receive our offering, uh, we want to give in an attitude of gratitude and a way of placing you first in all things in life, even in this financial area. And so we give back to you as a way of saying thank you and as a way of demonstrating that you are first. And so we're asking for you to do something special among us and in us in the next 25 minutes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know that you can be stuck in a pattern of life, a pattern of thinking, for so long that you don't recognize that it is actually uh, conditions that are, are toxic to your well-being. You can be trapped in routines and patterns of living that over time cause the air to become polluted and harmful to your well-being. And you may have breathed it and lived it for so long that you don't even recognize anymore that the patterns of life and default thinking and methods of coping are actually choking the life out of you. Because we've been in it for so long that we don't realize that it's become toxic and polluted. And so I want us to start by talking about some symptoms of breathing in polluted air. Some symptoms of of, um, being stuck in patterns of life and patterns of thinking that are polluted and toxic. Symptoms of polluted thinking and polluted uh, living that have kept us in a rut or has taken something that was supposed to be a season in life and because we responded to it uh, incorrectly has now become life. Let me give you some ideas on that. Symptoms of polluted thinking and living. I think when we are in an environment, figuratively speaking, where we are breathing in patterns of living, patterns of, of coping that are polluted and toxic, we begin to fake it. We begin to fake life. Because we're unhealthy. We can only live in patterns of life, patterns of coping, patterns of thinking for so long, patterns that are unhealthy, and eventually you will become unhealthy. The life that we crave will be sucked out of us because we're living in a toxic environment. Our thoughts are toxic, our our methods of coping are toxic, and, and we begin to become unhealthy And our natural tendency is is that we begin to fake it. And so especially we'll come to church and we'll put on a face because I don't want you to know that I'm dying inside, and so we fake it. Or I'll put a Band-Aid over the wound and I'll make sure it's a flesh-colored Band-Aid because I don't want you to see it, and so I fake it. Anytime that we begin to fake life, we're in trouble. Anytime that you begin to put on a persona, we're in trouble. Maybe you're faking it today. Perhaps you're faking it in your marriage. Perhaps you haven't moved out, nobody's mentioned divorce, but you're faking it. And uh, your heart's not in it. Maybe you're faking it financially, and there's mountains of bills and piles of debt, and and your method of coping and your method of living and your method of thinking has got you in piles of bills, but... You're faking it. You keep up appearances. Or maybe you're faking faith and you have questions that have gone unanswered or questions that you've been afraid to ask. And now internally you're 
dying. You're faking it. Maybe you're faking it emotionally. You're living under this darkness of depression and you're afraid to say something because you're not sure how people will respond. And you think, because maybe people have told you, well, you're a Christian, and if you're a Christian, you shouldn't need medication. And so we kind of keep that hidden, and and we fake it. Can can we just be a church that we just lift that off of us? Look, I I would never say that you run to medication as your first choice, but um, I, I understand the darkness of depression. I've been on medication for it. I'm not currently, but I've been on medication for it for years, and I remember I met with my, my, my spiritual coach, and for years I would tell him, I would just think if I could try something different, and if I could pray a little more, read this, or I, I, I can beat this thing. And finally, after two years, uh, there's going to be a little slight swear word coming in, but I'm going to give it to you. Uh, uh, he said, look, if you can beat this thing, then do it, damn it. But if you can't, your family deserves better, and go get some help. And it was lifting to me. Because living under that and, you know, this idea of well, what's the church going to think and what, you know, other people are going to think. And can we just take that scarlet letter of M medication and just rip it off, right? And, and, and this idea, everyone clapping, we're medication partners right there. <laughs> so I, I understand it. And so, man, I don't want us to fake it. Um, maybe you're faking it morally. And maybe you've got this whole other lifestyle that nobody knew about and you're faking it. I have great respect for those who are in our Restore ministry right now who are facing some of those demons and, and, and saying, I'm not going to fake it anymore and, and, and being raw and real. And so let me just ask you, are you faking it? If there's something that only you know, then you're in a dangerous place. You're, you're, you're faking it. There's been polluted thinking and patterns of life that are, are, are harming you. Here's the second thing, I think, that uh, if there's something in life that only you know about and you fake it long enough, uh, then we just begin to put it off, right? We know that we're unhealthy. We know that something needs to change, but we'll make excuses to ourselves that here's what we tell each other. Here's what we tell ourselves. Tomorrow, I'll do better. Tomorrow will be better. I'll get our finances in order tomorrow. Maybe your marriage, you're faking it, and then there's just a staleness over your marriage, and we think it's just a season, it'll get better tomorrow, whatever tomorrow might be. But tomorrow doesn't seem to ever come, because we're faking it, and now we're, 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 we're putting it off. Or my depression, I used to tell myself this, my depression, it'll be, it'll be better tomorrow. I won't have, uh, it, it won't be as bad next week. And, and we, we put it off, it's polluted thinking. And then eventually, we put it off long enough, we give up. Right? We give up on uh, life, marriage, faith, our future, a job that will never change, a spouse that will never change, I that will never change. And once you give up, we die. That we die emotionally and spiritually and mentally and morally and relationships die. And really anything that is of any value in life eventually dies. So how do we break the pattern? How do we step out of polluted toxic thinking that leads to polluted, toxic ways of living, ways of coping, and how can we begin to breathe in fresh air even when circumstances are not at their best? Because, as we said before, circumstances will never be at their best. There will always be some level of disappointment in life. So we have to learn, as Paul did, how can we breathe in fresh air even when life may be, in certain areas, may be polluted. Listen to what Scripture says about the importance of proper thinking. 
He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. We could say, hey, that's polluted, right? Polluted thinking. But be transformed, here's how, by the renewing of your mind or your thinking. Look how the New Living Translation says it. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way that you think. And oftentimes, church is really good about preaching behavior modification. Change your behavior. Change your behavior. I think before we start off on the behavior road, let's begin to change our thinking. Let the Holy Spirit begin to change what's going on up here. Let the work begin internally, and then let the results manifest themselves externally. Because if you can allow the Holy Spirit to transform your thinking, you will transform your living. Right? That's what this is talking about. That how you think is how you live. Change the way you think, change the way you live. When I was younger, my father would ask me to do something that I didn't want to do. I would you know, stand up really quick, or I'd throw down the remote, or I'd slam a door, or I'd walk out with my shoulder. Some. Why is this the, the official posture of all teenagers, right? And so I'd walk off, and what did my dad say? He's like, son, you better change your attitude. I can't tell you how many times I've told that to my, my kids, especially my boys. You better change that attitude before I get off this couch. Let they know I really don't have the energy to get off this couch. <laughs> right? We would say it. Change your, change your attitude uh, because attitude matters. And if, if you have a bad attitude in life, check your thinking. Now, oftentimes we think, well, my attitude is my thinking. No. Your attitude was formed because of your thinking. And so if you have a, a perpetual bad attitude, back up and ask yourself, what am I thinking about? What, 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 where have where, where my thoughts lied? Because we need to talk about this idea of alignment. That when uh, anything is in alignment, it works well. When the body is in alignment, it's a remarkable uh, creation. But when the body is out of alignment, nothing works and it's painful. When relationships are in alignment and relationships are clicking, they're beautiful. But when relationships are out of alignment, when you're missing each other, when you're on separate pages, then relationships can be torturous. When our relationship with God is in alignment, there is a supernatural ability to rise above our circumstances, but when our relationship with God, especially our thinking, is not in alignment with God, nothing works, and life is painful, and our attitude goes with our thinking. Listen to what Chuck Swindoll said. He said, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. So how do we bring 
our attitude into alignment with God? How do we bring our thinking under alignment with God's wisdom and God's thinking? And that's what we'll do for the rest of our time together. I have four thoughts for you, and then I will leave you and meet you at some pizza joint somewhere. Um, here's, here's the first one. Uh, that we need to choose uh, daily. Choose da- Make the choice daily on what it is that we will give ourselves to and think about. Now that means for some of us, we need to choose hourly and sometimes minute by minute because we'll never control the thoughts that pop into your head, right? Those things are going to come from fiery darts of the enemy. Those thoughts, they're coming from everywhere. But what stays in there, you have a choice. And if I ask you right now to think about your uh, living room at home, instantly you can pull up a very vivid picture of what your living room looks like at home. And if I tell you quickly, immediately start thinking about your car, you can immediately change and think about your vehicle. Because we really do have the ability, whether or not we want to exercise it is another question, we have the ability uh, to change our thought pattern. Paul says this in Philippians 4.8. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, and we could say sisters in there as well, Finally, brothers, sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and there's anything worthy of praise, Paul says, hey, you want to you break out of polluted thinking? Start thinking about these things. In other words, take your thoughts captive. He talks about later in 2 Corinthians 10. Take your thoughts captive and make them obedient to the truth of Christ. Right? So he says to the church of Philippi, he says, here's a thought. Start thinking about these things. Now, here's what we do. Our verse often is the antithesis of this. And so we say, well, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is false, whatever is dishonorable, I think about whatever is unjust, I think about whatever is perverted, whatever is ugly, and then we wonder why life is polluted. It's because our thinking is out of alignment with God's wisdom. And God says, look, if we can get your thoughts to start thinking about things that are heavenly, change your thinking and you will change your life. You will rise above circumstances even when they're polluted and have an attitude that reflects more of like Paul's attitude was. And that means we need to choose daily. But look what Paul says in verse 9. He says, what you have learned and what you have received and what you have heard and what you have seen in me, practice these things things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's saying, look, look, you need to put these things into practice. You need to work at these things. Some of this is going to take effort on your part. You will not master it the first time you try it. Uh, It will be something that you can learn. And so begin to practice taking negative thoughts captive and begin to fill them with thoughts that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and things that are excellent, but it will take work on your part. And if you think that just because you're a follower of Christ that your thinking should be transformed instantly, it doesn't work like that. But it is something that you can learn if you are willing to put the work into it and the spiritual discipline into it. Here's my second thought for you. Preset your outlook. Preset your outlook. Now, let me... If you know me, you know this already. Uh, I am a very negative person by nature. And I can see the worst in anything. Uh, You know, there's the glass half empty and the glass half full. I'm a, where's the glass? Uh, That's me. I'm like, I don't even see the glass anywhere. I'm the guy that will say, 
Uh, we did 47 baptisms, but we didn't hit 50. Right? I mean, that's just, I can naturally slide that way. Right? Some of you are like, they gave me the car for free, but I still got to pay insurance. Right? You can ruin anything. And, and, and so some of us, we have a natural bent, a natural disposition, but we can preset our outlook to something different. It will take work and practice, but it is something we can do. Look at Paul's preset outlook. 2 Corinthians 6, he says, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, in hardship, in calamities, in beatings, imprisonment, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, and catch this next part. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. Here's what Paul's saying. Is outsiders can look at my life and say, man, your life is rough. And Paul says, what are you talking about? I'm rejoicing in everything. And outsiders can look and say, "Uh, um, you have nothing. And Paul says, no, I have everything. It's that he changed a, a preset disposition or an outlook on life. And it's almost where, where Paul says, look, I, I know things aren't perfect and I know other people can look and they can pick out everything that's wrong, but, but I have a, a, a preset of life now that I'm looking for God in everything and I'm looking for the blessing of God in everything. And so you may say that life is sorrowful, but I'm rejoicing. And you may say I have nothing, but he says, 